This is The Finch. This is Heritage 2. It's not about making money right now, and it needs to be about just being smart. Hey, I'm Alex. And I'm Will. You're listening to a Heritage episode of The Finch. These Heritage episodes are a special edition where we talk about the origins and the backgrounds of local Athenian businesses. Athens always. Information always. This is Heritage. Hugh Atchison is a James Beard award-winning author. Hugh Atchison is a former Top Chef judge. Hugh Atchison is the owner of several restaurants, including the Five and Ten in Athens. Hugh Atchison is on the Finch. All right, to start off, can you go ahead and tell us, um, you know, why why you're in Athens and, and also why you got into the, the restaurant business? Um, I'm in, yeah, I've been in Athens since 1996 and then uh, left for two years in San Francisco and then came back and opened up 5 and 10 in 2000. And uh, I'm a displaced Canadian, but was married to an American for a long time. And uh, the, we, uh, you know, my wife, my ex-wife and uh, my daughters, we, we all live in Athens, a couple blocks away from each other. So I started cooking when I was really young, uh, when I was about 15. I come from a hyper academic family and uh, academics wasn't really my thing, Um, but I could cook. And so I started uh, cooking when I was 15 and so I've been doing it for most of my life, 35 years. What was your family's like perception of you deciding to sort of spur off from that um, academic uh, lifestyle? It, you know, it was it was really supportive. Uh, I've got a really supportive father and three older sisters who are amazingly supportive. And but you know, they're business people and academics. My dad's an economics professor. My sister's a, a dean of the liberal arts college at uh, University of Waterloo in Canada. And one of my other sisters is a graphic designer. And then my other sister is the executive VP of Lululemon. Um, so it's really disparate grouping of people but uh, i'm the only one without a phd or a master's beside my name but that's that's okay we've succeeded in different ways and what sort of culinary education have you gone through oh none no you know everybody says i'm self-taught um which means that i've read a lot of books and studied it and found an endless topic that i can learn about but really the truth is that i got trained and taught by an amazing array of great chefs over the years who uh, who took me under their wing and uh, taught me a ton of stuff about leadership and cooking and running restaurants and the art of hospitality and uh, giving it your all. So obviously the restaurant um, of yours that we're most accustomed with is five and 10, but you have several others. Can you sort of tell us the, the styles of cooking and the different ones and how you got uh, to the style that you're, you currently do? Yeah, I mean, the styles in food are always changing, and it's progressed a lot, but I tend to sort of stick with 
um, pretty traditional French and Italian inspired food. Uh, that was my training. But because I live in the South, it, a lot of it's very influenced by the Southern martyr and Southern food history. Uh, so five and 10 is the restaurant that I opened first and I was opened 20 years ago. Um, and it is in five points and it does very modernized Southern food, uh, very local ingredient sourcing and tons of purveying from local farms. And it was kind of the, the first restaurant in Athens to really do that and, uh, and really made a name for itself. And now it's kind of, one degree of separation away from all the other good restaurants in town. Basically we've become a, a training ground for all of our competition, which is fine. Um, but odd. Um, then I own Empire State South in Atlanta, which is a big restaurant in Midtown um, that kind of specializes in, again, more modern Southern food. And I run a restaurant in a hotel in downtown Atlanta called by George, which is a very French uh, restaurant, uh, sort of classic French food. And in, in opening these restaurants, has the, has the journey always been smooth? Have you, what's been your biz, biggest challenge in uh, opening these restaurants and managing them? Um, I think, uh, geez, it's changing remarkably right now. But um, for a long time in the last five, six years, it's just been really difficult to find qualified people um, to work in restaurants. Uh, uh, we're we're going to have a lot of options soon because unemployment is crazy high. Um, and so I think that, you know, it's just getting operations concisely systematized and finding growth uh, in restaurants is difficult when you have a number of them. When you have one and your heart's in it and you're working 80 hours a week, it's pretty easy to uh, get your point across because you're always there when you have three or multiple or four and do other things and write books like I do and do a lot of sort of uh, other, wear a lot of different hats, uh, it's, it's more difficult to um, sort of illustrate to people your desires and your wants and what the places should espouse. Um, but, you know, we, we have those issues, but I think we confront them well and we, we figure out plans and, and roll out systems that, that make the possibility uh, of the hospitality that I want um, to to still transpire. We'll talk a little bit more about COVID in a bit, but prior to COVID, what sort of capacity did you serve for these restaurants? Were you spending uh, time in the kitchen? Or was it mainly administrative at this point now that you oversee them? It's more gestating ideas and enacting concepts. I've got, I work closely with a couple of people who aren't dedicated to any particular restaurant, but kind of float amongst all of them. Uh, so we develop the menus for them and then roll them out from there. Um, so I, I still spend a lot of time administratively and in meetings and sort of leadership role. Um, but, you know, it's less directly hands on. Um, than it used to be. And then as Alex said, we'll talk about how uh, the impacts of COVID, as we've seen in many Athens businesses, um, restaurants have had to take precautionary measures such as uh, spacing out customers. What, uh, what measures have your restaurants taken and how has your traffic been influenced by COVID-19? Uh, well, that remains to be seen because we haven't reopened yet. Uh, we think it's uh, a little bit too soon. 
Um, we've done some private dinners to sort of analyze the steps that we'll need to take to sort of fully um, assure ourselves and our families, uh, all of our workers, and then ultimately the customer. Uh, in trying to create a non-alarmist atmosphere. Nobody wants to eat in what they think is a, you know, a hospital ward or with tons of red tape blocking off certain parts of a restaurant. So the best is like removal of excess seating. Um, you know, we need to go down to about 50% capacity, but we can expand outside. Um, and both 5 and 10 and Empire State South have pretty big footprints and where they can expand and get a lot of seating outside. And I think that people are really going to want to eat out there. But in, in the restaurant world, uh, we work with um, uh, what are called HACCP plans, which are hazard analysis protocols. Um, and so usually HACCP plans are for if I'm going to cook salmon sous vide the health department wants me to show them a step-by-step -step of how I procured the product, how it's been stored, what the length of time that it's going to spend in a cryovac bath or in a water bath, in a cryovac oxygen reduced environment uh, to ensure safety and making sure that nobody gets botulism. Um, now we have to do that sort of plan for everybody entering the restaurant. And that is a massive undertaking. Um, so, as other operators reopen without that sort of idea in place, um, I worry about spread and I worry about um, safety. Five and 10 also uh, appeals to um, some quite older people and it's, it's my job to make sure that I'm not putting them in jeopardy. Uh, there's a lot of liability too that, that floats around with this right now, um, that if you, you know, are not watching out and you have somebody in your domain who is, was forced to come in because you really needed them on the ship that week and because they're, you know, need to pay their rent. And so they're going to come in and avoid the fact that they have a hundred degree fever and that they uh, are relatively asymptomatic apart from that and start a spread within the confines of your restaurant. That's a really dire circumstance to have to deal with. And I don't want to have to deal with that right now. It's not like we're, we're waiting for a reset to complete normalcy, but we need to see um, testing numbers ramp up a lot more than in Georgia. Uh, we're still hovering um, way under 5% of people tested within the state of Georgia. Um, and, you know, the government has really tried to reopen and that's to fill their coffers again with um, sales tax money, but also to um, get people off the un unemployment rolls. But in my case, nobody's on unemployment because we're on PPP loans and all the people are being paid for by us. We also have a different situation right now that we are actually generating and monetizing a situation, which is we've been endowed by World Central Kitchen uh, uh, at Empire State South and 5 and 10 to produce between 500 and 800 meals a day at each location to feed to and deliver to any communities and first responders and hospitals. So we feel that now is not necessarily the right time for fine dining and that we still have um, a huge uh, job that we can do within the community to feed people. There, you know, people are being admitted to hospital um, not only for COVID and things like that, but also for malnutrition and starvation within Atlanta and Athens. And that's terrifying.
but we can alleviate some of that by doing really nourishing good meals delivered to people. So we've got a big van and a delivery and dispatch system. And so right now at five and 10, they're producing meals, putting them five to a bag and getting them out. We do that Monday to Friday. You recently wrote in the Washington Post about how regardless that um, governor wanted to reopen that, that your businesses were going to remain closed. Uh, and that order was almost uh, a month ago. And we've spoken with uh, Mayor Kelly Gertz previously, and he urged Athens businesses to uh, either remain closed or really follow strict guidelines. And we haven't necessarily seen that for all of the restaurants. Do you feel like your establishments are the minority? And have you been co- talking with other people in um, the restaurant industry? And what are your thoughts on, on, on this whole matter and what they're saying? You know, it's, it's, it's pretty few and far between the places that have actually reopened in the realm of what I do and the, the other chefs within my community, my, um, uh, my, my circle. Um, so most have chosen to really do it quite slowly and uh, with deliberate notions and protocols uh, being created. Um, you know, uh, I've gotten a lot of emails directly to the restaurant saying that, you know, we should reopen and people are hungry and people really want to go out to eat. But the, the economic reality of this situation is uh, with reduced seating capacity and um, a public that's still very wary of going out, um, it's not really economically even viable for us to go out right now. So every restaurant is trying to do a lot of to-go food. They're trying to become quasi-grocery stores. And it's not, it doesn't add up to anywhere near the same type of take as we would normally be doing. So obviously the business models need to change, but rents don't change. And uh, the landlords are quite nice often, but the bill is still the same. And we've seen shifts in, uh, in how restaurants conduct themselves. Like you said, a lot of them uh, emphasize takeout right now. Do you think that this will produce a long-term shift in the restaurant industry, as in many, many businesses are going to permanently shift to a more takeout role? Uh, furthermore, how do, you, how do you think restaurants will be impacted by COVID and change in the long run? Yeah, I, 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 the, the second part of your question, it's, it's just, I, I don't really know right now. Um, you know, the idea of space dining, I think we can do in a space, space like 5 and 10, uh, just because we've got a number of different rooms and we've got a fair bit of uh, square footage. I'm more worried about restaurants, uh, say in Athens, Donna Chang's, Donna, Donna Chang's has maybe total 38 seats. But when you carve that up, you've suddenly got sub 20 seats and that's not a business that can survive on 20 seats. So they're going to have to pivot towards um, other business ways of, of, of monetizing and bringing, bringing operational cash into it. And, you know, delivery and meal kits and all, and th- that type of stuff is fine. It, it's very labor intensive and the delivery systems built around that are already in existence are exorbitantly expensive. Um, when you look at a Grubhub um, or uh, one of those type of things, you're talking about, 35 cents of every dollar going to the delivery service company. Um, that doesn't work in a low margin business for long unless you're producing garbage. Um, so, you know, there are other ones, more localized ones like Bulldog Food, charge a lot less. 
they have good infrastructure. Maybe there's growth potential in that, but it's still 20 cents on the dollar going out. Um, you know, and these are businesses, the hospitality industry, mostly at the high end, you know, we make maybe six cents on a dollar. So 6% profit, you know, it, I don't have 20 cents on the dollar to give away in what we do. Um, also a large, uh, in fine dining in the realm, I'm in, uh, you know, 40% of our revenue is generated by sales of higher end liquor, wine and beer. And, you know, that, that doesn't really work in a to-go thing. We've got a moratorium right now and we can sell liquor or wine and beer uh, as retail in restaurants, uh, which has been a good way to sort of monetize and get rid of inventory. But, you know, I carry between five and 10 in Empire State South, I carry a wine inventory of probably about $180,000. So there's a lot of wine in our cellars. So, but, you know, to sell all that and then have no depth in a cellar, then you have to buy more. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's all a quandary. We'll figure it out. And I feel blessed to, given the fact that we have enough space and can really spread out. Like we're re-landscaping the front yard of 5 and 10. I'll have an additional 20 seats outside. Um, you know, 5 and 10 is a big restaurant. It's all, not always full. You know, Football Friday, sure it is. But, you know, there's there's a lot of room to move around. So I think that we can comfortably do some things that'll that'll make us pertinent and uh, we can always do a lot of more personalized catering. I think that catering is going to be pretty, uh, a big, large factor. I think a lot of people who were going to go out to eat will want uh, chefs to come and cook for them and their families more and more. That's fine, but it just, uh, as much as I'm in fine dining and, I, and as much as I, what I do is always appeal to a small slice of the top tier of the population who makes a lot of money. I don't, it doesn't make me proud to just serve those people. I mean, they're nice. They're just, I don't want to be a guy who just makes rich people food. Can you tell us um, right now a little bit more about the role you were previously talking about with the food that your um, establishments are making in, in, in support of um, the meals you were referring to earlier. Yeah, so early on, we started pivoted more in Atlanta to doing upper-end to-go food. And a friend of mine runs the Blank Family Foundation for Arthur Blank and tasked us with uh, and funded us to start producing a fair amount of food for Grady Hospital System and Piedmont Hospital System in Atlanta uh, for first responders, so for nurses and hospital workers and doctors. So we did that successfully for a couple of weeks and we still are doing some of that. Um, but then I'm very close friends with um, a pretty famous chef named Jose Andres. And Jose is a chef in DC who has, uh, is the founder of World Central Kitchen, which is a disaster response team that swoops in and feed, feeds people. So right now what he's done is he's gotten a huge amount of philanthropic donations, um, like multi-millions of dollars. And so he's activated restaurants across the country. And I was the first in the South. And then I brought on another restaurant in Athens, La Peria. And then we brought on about six more in Atlanta as well. So we've kind of pivoted towards that. So every day we have vans and we send out to different safe drop points um, and drop on the sidewalk and facilitate with an organization that is going to distribute it for us. We need that gap just for safety. So 
we safely produce in our kitchens. We box up, we label um, really nourishing sort of multi-part meals as a sort of extravagant lunch. Uh, but in a really nutritionally dense food uh, that's smart and really good, but is uh, I think they're the I think if you're a nurse who's worked 18 hours a day for the last little while and somebody gives you another Papa John's pizza, you're probably going to be like, fuck you. So uh, we're trying to make food that they actually like. We'll be like, ah, somebody loves me and cares for me and I'm not eating cardboard with cheese on it. Can you, uh, can you describe the, the protocols in a kitchen for uh, the sanitation protocols and whether they've changed or not as a result of this pandemic? Yeah, you know, there's always been strong protocols in our kitchens and most everyone that adheres to really good health practices and is clean. But, you know, I think that we're washing our hands probably three times as much. I mean, on a typical day in the kitchen, I now I probably wash my hands about 50 times a day, like five zero. Um, you know, glove work, we're all wearing masks. We're um, upon entry, every worker's temperature checked. Um, we... Uh, at the beginning, mostly at Empire State South, uh, Five and Ten came out a, lot, a little later doing World Central Kitchen stuff. For, but for two weeks, uh, I had one staff of four people in the kitchen and four people in the front of the house uh, packing everything up and figuring out dispatch. So I had eight people, and they kind of made, and then myself, so nine. But we made a pact that um, basically we wake up in the morning and we go to work. and. Uh, you know, there's protocols on how you get gas. If you need to go to the ATM, you're wearing um, gloves and you're sanitizing door door knobs and all this stuff. Nobody was allowed in the restaurant. We all knew where we had been. Um, so we kind of did our little um, silo situation. And that kind of ensured the safety of everybody involved. Um, and then we're still carrying on those practices as we get more people back into the scenario because we're planning on reopening in about three weeks. Um, but right now, you know, everybody's still on payroll. Half of them are working from home. And, you know, if anybody says, I don't really feel safe or comfortable coming into work, that's fine for the time being. It's not going to be forever because I can't afford that. Um, but for the time being, we've got some flex. And, you know, I think that, Look, the smartest move you can make in business right now is be authentic and transparent and empathetic and understanding and goddamn smart. You, we all have to hustle right now to figure this out and take care of our people. But uh, it's not about making money right now. And it needs to be about just being smart and safe and really thinking everything through. You know, you know, we did one private dinner for 10 people at 5 and 10 the other day. This was a group that had been hanging out together already it was a birthday and so we used it as like okay i'm going to require you all to make, wear masks you can take them off of the table to eat and consume drinks when we approach we prefer that you have the mask on uh, we are all going to be masked uh, wine service is totally different it's done on a side table and glasses are brought over to you um, uh, the situation in a dish, the what we call in parlance of restaurants, the dish area or the dish pit, is totally different uh, because that is a main vector point uh, of saliva and germs and people touching all the cutlery, all the dishes, all the time to their mouths, et cetera, et cetera. And so we have massive uh, bins of filled with quat. Quat is like industrial uh, bleach alternative that restaurants use. 
Um, and long-gloved dishwasher who's after they're scraped and put in there by the runner, who then washes his hand, puts on fresh gloves, goes out again, uh, that those dishes are processed by being sanitized within the quat. Then they go into the dishwasher where it's further sanitized. They're run through twice. Then there is another dishwasher on the other end who's just responsible for unloading clean. Um, so they're separated. Uh, and then, you know, distancing in a kitchen, nobody's allowed to high five or pat each other on the back. It's like, there's just, there's rules. And it's like, I'm not worried about the professionalism of my crew because that's what we instill every day. Uh, we are very no nonsense in the kitchens. Uh, it's not like I'm an asshole. I just, uh, I've done a job that 98% of people who work in restaurants think it's a stepping stone that they'll get away from and do another real job. Well, this is my real job, and I've been very successful at it because I take it very seriously, and I start people's careers, and I watch them bloom, and they go on and do great things in this industry. I'm not stopping that. So we're at a level of professionalism where they take this these steps to heart, and I believe that they know what they're doing. Uh, I am much more worried about a lot of restaurants that do not understand those steps. That, those steps. How can people in Athens support businesses like yours uh, without, you know, endangering themselves or the, the people that work for you? How can we support local businesses and local restaurants to make sure that, um, you know, they don't face the, the really hard end of this? You know, I mean, you can, there's various ways you can go buy merch and stuff like that. Like we've got somebody wrote us a really nasty email the other day saying, because we're not open, not open he hopes that we never reopen. <laughs> It's like, okay. So one of my guys responded with, um, we, are, we are very professional. We understand what we're doing and we don't feel safe doing that right now. But really what I really want to say is kiss my grits. And so we made these kiss my grits t-shirts and they've sold really well. Um, so little things like that. You can buy gift certificates. I mean, when, when places reopen, um, you know, begin to dip your toes in the water of, of what they're doing. If they're doing to go food now, support their people. If you can tip well, um, you know, on Venmo, people are really, I, I mean, people are good. Uh, you know, I did a lot of work raising some money for um, the Latinx community who has really been hit hard by this. And it's amazing the things that they, that you think are just necessities that they just can't afford. Like they don't have any money. So toothbrushes, toothpaste, diapers, food. Um, so I, I was like, my girlfriend and I were, we had the big van one Saturday. This is like a month ago. And I was like, I went on Vembo. I was like, Hey, I'm going to go and spend a thousand dollars at the supermercado. If you want, um, if you want and go and deliver just odds and ends to the Latin community. And within, and I said, chip into my Venmo account if you want to help out. Uh, within four hours, people have sent me $6,000. So we went to Walmart, bought like $2,000 in diapers. Walmart was like, how many babies do you have? Um, we went and I gave $1,000 to a woman to just make tamales and distribute them in their community. Um, we went and bought toothbrushes and toothpaste and all this stuff in massive quantities and distrib distributed to about 250 families who needed it. Um, I did that not because I want a gold star. I did that because it was needed then and I had the wherewithal and the ability to do it. 
right now everybody needs to be making lists and there's a good column and there's a bad column the people you see helping out in a pandemic and helping their neighbor and checking on their neighbor and making sure my neighbor right behind me or beside me who is a um not very communicative uh, guy from shanghai who's here doing art at the university and he's a postgrad guy uh, i left him a note saying you know hey i'm a chef i can make you dinner if you want me to drop off groceries whatever but two weeks later no no contact two weeks later he slides a note on my door with a grocery list of what he needed it was hilarious it was like i need three bananas and i was like okay three that's very precise um but now it's we've got this amazing relationship he gives me pieces of his art and i drop him off dinner when i'm here cooking and uh, and you know we communicate through the window and we talk and and then the woman, older woman across the street, I check on her every other day to make sure she needs something. But, you know, just do something. I mean, there's plenty of things you can do, uh, but it should be things that make you feel whole and good and like you've, you've made a difference. Community is about respecting people's, the differences we all have, but having a social contract that we're all here to get along somehow. And so if I have more of an ability to support which is do just because my skill set, um, then I will. But I would do it if I was a dentist too. So, but the pro and con columns are really important right now because you see a lot of people just being really selfish and um, just concerned about themselves or putting other people in jeopardy. Um, you know, you see videos online all the time about you know idiots refusing to wear masks. It's like you're not wearing a mask for yourself you're wearing it so you don't kill my fucking grandmother so you know i don't know it's just you need to be making those lists and figure out like the, there's some even some big name companies who've been doing really amazing supportive work and you know hey I, you know i consider buying a kia now just because they've supported inner city kids with like millions of dollars right now you know so it's like these are the, those are the lists you need to make. I mean, I'm working with Crockpot on this big deal right now where they want me to distribute Crockpots to teachers for free and then give them groceries for like a year to cook stuff in their Crockpots. It's like, great. It's awesome. You're a weird little cooking appliance company who's doing good. That's great. If it's marketing for you, that's fine. It's not marketing for me. I'm just doing it because this, you know, it's how I was raised and it's what I want to do. And what, what makes me, you know, I'm not into the accumulation of, uh, of utter wealth and things like that. I'm into the idea of on my gravestone, I want, Hey, he was a pretty nice guy. He did some shit. That's enough. Finally, for our last question of this interview, um, if you had some advice for everyone at home, I know you've given us some words uh, in your previous answer. What, is, what are some pieces of advice you would give or encouragement to everyone at home right now? Um, you know, I think you, right now everybody needs to take care of themselves first. Um, you know, don't succumb to loneliness and boredom and, you know, do something different and try something. And there are plenty of people, you know, I planted a bunch of new plants. Uh, you know, I'm doing some woodworking. I'm, I work on, you know, this is my weird free time or still 70 hours a week, but I work on an old car that I've got outside. Um, you know, so feel good about yourself. And then when you feel good about yourself, that gives you the wherewithal and strength 
to uh, see in your immediate vicinity who needs your help. And somebody always needs your help. And it's more than ever right now. And regardless of, you know, who you normally hang with or who you normally fraternize with, it's like you need to broach into a new part of your community and, and offer some assistance right now. Um, you know, it, it's funny, my, my girlfriend made a, uh, made a bunch of tamales, you know, at her, at her house in Atlanta. And she was really weird. She lives in this really cool, like mixed loft space. And she kind of put on the bulletin board of the front. It's like, if you want some free tamales, let me know. And then she called me and she's like, is that weird? Like, are, people, are strangers going to take food cooked by a stranger right now? And they were gone in a jiffy. It's like, you know, so just do something. It's amazing how good you can make people feel and yourself. So just do something. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Finch Podcast. If you're interested in being an underwriter, email us at thefinchpodcast at gmail.com. And if you like our work, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at The Finch Podcast. Next time on The Finch, we're going to be talking about police brutality, the justice system, and discrimination against minorities. Extemporary 1, June 1st.